You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Friday, July 31st, 2020. But we do want people to do their civic duty. Later in the program, Karen Wheeler, election supervisor, talks about voting for the general election in Monroe County. That's coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner reports on a lawsuit filed by Monroe County against a property owner for logging and working on his 250-acre property at Lake Monroe. But first, your local headlines. Here are three headlines you need to know today. WFHB correspondent Aaron Comforti filed today's local news brief. From WFHB, this is the local news brief for Friday, July 31st. I'm Aaron Comforti. 912 new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Indiana on Thursday, according to the Indiana State Department of Health, which also reported five new deaths related to COVID-19. Locally, Monroe County saw nine new confirmed cases, and Lawrence County saw six. The City of Bloomington Office of the Mayor hosted a presentation and question and answer session on the city's responses to structural racism. The meeting was called Recover Forward Racial Equity and was streamed on Facebook Live. Prominent community members like Vox Booker and Bloomington Black Lives Matter's Jada B. posed critical questions and commentary in the chat. In response to nationwide and local calls for increased funding for mental health professional first responders, the city announced their intention to create new social worker positions within the police department. Bloomington Police Chief Decoff noted that the positions should be within the department because they are one of the only 24-7 city services. In response, Vox Booker commented, Police officers shouldn't be responding to mental health crises. Fund agencies with the expertise to handle mental health directly. Jada B. wrote, You are not giving a better reason for keeping the positions within the department other than you all are the ones with the jobs. We can create a non-police organization to help folks and we can fund them for 24-hour services. Mayor John Hamilton highlighted the city's work in creating a citywide task force focused on structural racism and an advisory board focused on public safety. In response, Vox Booker wrote, How many advisory commissions can one town have? The advisory commission for the farmer's market was disastrous. The board of public safety is appointed by and serves at the discretion of the mayor. That's all for your local news brief from WFHB. I'm Aaron Comforti. The Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners approved the commissioning of two Black Lives Matter murals. The first mural will be located on North Elm Street between West 7th and 8th Streets, and the other at a downtown location yet to be determined. 
community members will be invited to participate in painting the Elm Street mural designed by black artists. The projects still require approval from the Bloomington City Council and Board of Public Works. Sean Starowitz, assistant director for the arts, reported six mural submissions have already been made to the city from black artists. He said the city is still accepting applications. The murals will be paid for with black and brown arts festival funds. Due to COVID-19, the festival could not take place this past year. Therefore, the money is being reallocated to funding BLM murals. Starwitz said the funds being used were already set aside by the festival organizers to support local black artists and artists of color. The murals are set to be rededicated during the events of the 2021 Black and Brown Arts Festival. Jane Coopersmith, assistant director of small business development for the city's Economic and Sustainable Development Department, reported to the Bloomington City Council about tax abatements, which created more job growth than expected. These abatements added 1,119 new jobs, equaling more than $69 million in salaries for 2019. The proposed new jobs totaled 336. This means 783 more jobs were created than expected. Special Projects Director Kaisa Goodman spoke about 15-minute free parking zones in downtown Bloomington with the Bloomington City Council. During their July 29th meeting, Goodman said the city will revert the two hours of free parking offered as a COVID-19 response. The city offered two hours of free parking as a way to remove a barrier to visiting downtown and to supporting local businesses. With parking again at a premium in August with the return of the IU students, the city will be reactivating the meters and monitoring parking as of August 1st. However, COVID has unfolded differently than we originally anticipated. And as a result, the city must make adjustments to our original plan in order to best serve residents and local businesses. Goodman said 15-minute parking zones were suggested by the local businesses and owners and would support the local economy. She said three zones would be dedicated as drop-off and pickup points. Each zone is comprised of one to two parking spaces for a total of 54 total spaces that will be free 15-minute parking during metered hours, which is 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Goodman said parking zones would run a trial period from Saturday, August 1st through September 30th. Councilmember Matt Flaherty asked Goodman how project success would be monitored. But we don't have the ability to actually monitor like, um, you know, this this one was occupied uh, four times an hour and this one was occupied only once an hour or something like that. It'll be sort of a, a best best impression based on business owners and uh, parking enforcement observations. Is that uh, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it, it, it isn't feasible for parking enforcement to monitor um, 54 spaces um, constantly to be able to figure out exactly how many people are using them with all of the other duties. So it will be more qualitative data. Councilmember Stephen Volan suggested installing parking sensors for monitoring usage. Goodman said the Economic and Sustainable Development Department would consider censoring. Richland Bean Blossom Community School Corporation will return to school on August 17th instead of the originally planned August 5th date. The only exception is Edgewood Early Childhood Center starting August 24th. 
RBB is offering students in all grades either a hybrid or all virtual learning schedule. The hybrid schedule would be as follows. Students with last names starting with A through K will come into school buildings on Mondays and Tuesdays and participate in e-learning on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Students with last names starting with L through Z will come into school on Thursdays and Fridays and do e-learnings on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. RBB plans to use the hybrid schedule for the first nine weeks of the school year. There will be no completely in-person scheduled offered for now. Students have the chance to change from either learning schedule to the other by August 21st. Parents can do so by contacting their child's school. These changes follow a letter sent to all Monroe County schools by the health administrator advising schools to move to their plan B of reopening. This action was taken in light of a local rising of COVID-19 cases. The Monroe County Commissioners approved a grant renewal for children vaccinations. Health Administrator Penny Caudell said the grant came through the Indiana State Department of Health Immunization Agreement. She said vaccination rates are low due to COVID-19. But certainly COVID has reduced vaccination um, vaccination rates overall, and that with the stay-at-home orders, there are many people who weren't able to keep up to date. So I think that this this money is even more important than it usually is, uh, and it allows us to ensure that vaccines are available for children regardless of their ability to pay for them. Cuddell said Monroe County has one of the highest vaccination rates in the state. She said due to students attending school virtually, the health department would search for alternate locations to provide vaccinations at schools. Election Day is coming up on November 3rd. WFHB News Director Cade Young spoke with Karen Wheeler, election supervisor, about voting procedures for the upcoming election. Here is that interview. So first of all, how do you register to vote in Monroe County? You, there are several ways that you can. Uh, if you have an Indiana driver's license, you can go to indianavoters.com and you can register online, which is probably probably be the easiest. If you do not have an Indiana driver's license, then you can download a form online from the Secretary of State, or we have two websites ourselves, the county, and we have our own voter registration one. You can get it there, or you can stop by the office uh, by an appointment and get an application, fill it out, paperwork that way. Or you could call our office and we can send you the registration. So if you don't have a printer, we are going to be here to help you in any direction we can. The deadline to register is October 5th. Wheeler told me there is still a few months before this deadline. However, she said it is better to register sooner rather than later. Wheeler said in-person voting will be available, but there are some alternatives. She said there is considerable confusion among the public about voting terms around casting absentee ballots. In Indiana, there are three main ways of absentee voting, in-person, by mail, or traveling board. Wheeler clarified the difference between the absentee voting terms. She also clarified how Indiana's absentee voting process differs from other states. So absentee voting is any time that you're absent from election day. That can include 
early voting when you walk into Election Central here three weeks before Election Day and you come in on the e-poll book, you get your ballot, you sign it, you fill it out, and you walk away. You know, you've completed the whole task. That is still absentee. It also can be travel boards. We can send out a team of Democrat and a Republican poll worker goes to a home and they um, deliver the ballot. Also, they can assist them if they need it, but it has to be a bipartisan team. That's absentee. And then uh, probably the most thought of is the mail ballot. We mail out, you you, uh, ask for the request, fill out that application, we get it, then we send you the ballot, you fill it out at home, and you send it back in. But that's not for everyone. Uh, You have to be 65 years old or older, you have to be handicapped, there's 12 different reasons. Um, You have an expectation of being out of the county for that day, and then that's an affidavit that you're signing. So the voter has to make the decision, do I qualify for any of these? Obviously, they want to be telling the truth. But anything with election, pretty much everything you're signing is some form of an affidavit. It's a legal binding, you could say, contract. You know, you're you're saying that this is the truth. There's some states that are mailing ballots out to everyone that's registered. I understand that's what... But we're hearing a lot on the news. We're just mailing out ballots to everyone that's registered. We don't do that. You have to request it. In the state of Indiana, we don't do it. I was just going to say, and then, of course, there's a number of people that really want to vote on Election Day. They want the experience. They want to be there on that day, and they have various reasons for it. Uh, Some of them want to make sure that nothing changes between now and Election Day, and others, it's part of the routine and this is where I go and I know the polling site and I know the people there and they're going to vote there no matter what. So having said that, you can still vote in person. Now what safety protocols will be in place to ensure social distancing, mask wearing, etc.? Our workers will be wearing either face masks, face shields, um, and so either the face shield or the masks or both. And we, we have everything wiped down after every voter. Each pen that we use has been disinfected after each voter so they get a clean pen. And we have distancing of setting things out as best as we can. Some of the situations are pretty difficult. For instance, right now we're looking at 34 poll sites. In the primary, we had seven. We were able to do that because we didn't. We knew IU wasn't going to be here. And, of course, there's just a lot of things going on, as it still is. So we consolidated them. At this point, we're not, we're not planning to do that. But some of those poll sites are very small. You go to Harrodsburg. It's not a big poll site. And so it's very difficult to keep six feet apart from the workers. So they're... We're doing our best of setting up the tables as best as we can. We are no longer using our Franklin booths. I don't know if you know what they are, but it's a nice stand-up booth that can hold four people to vote 
but it's all kind of rounding the circle. They're there, and they have at early voting, we have curtains that go behind them. It's very hard to disinfect any of that. So we eliminated that in the primary and we're just using tables, table surfaces. And we've raised the tables to be standing height. And we can wipe them down after every voter. Um, mm-hmm. But then we need places that are like 4,000 square feet. Auditoriums or probably more like gyms and cafeterias, those work pretty very good. But you go to a fire station, they don't have that much space. It's hard to guarantee that we're going to have six feet with every pole site. But believe me, we are trying our extreme best to make that happen. Wheeler said voting fraud is not likely to happen in Monroe County. She touched on reasons why. If you're talking about every registered voter getting a ballot, whether they've asked for it or not, to me, that's kind of a no-brainer in that certainly there could be fraud there because, you know, do we know that person even lives there anymore? You know, we we have hard enough time when we get their address. Will it get delivered to, you know, you have dormitories. So that means everybody at IU would get a ballot sent to them while they're, they're not there. So does somebody else intervene and get that ballot and fill it out? We do... When, what we do is they have to request it. So I, our chance is very minimal of fraud. And so when we get that application, we see the signature, we send them the ballot. When they sign it, we compare the signatures when it comes back, not only on their form, but also we look at what's on our record of their registration form. So it's not a quick process either. It's quite tedious in a lot of ways of getting these mail ballots out as well as back in. But then you have electronic signatures that if they sign on a poll book, you know, that's a it's a tablet. You know, people don't sign the same on electronically on these electronic devices as the, as the same as they would on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. They're very hard to tell. But the application you have a paper and a wet signature. Um, the other, um, the ballot, it also has to be signed and it has to be a wet signature. You know, it can't be a electronically uh, transmitted one. It has to have ink on there. Poll workers are needed in Monroe County elections. Wheeler outlined the positions that are available at the moment. We have inspectors. They're the ones that are basically the boss over that poll site. Then we have uh, clerks who are going to be checking people in. We have judges that are administering the ballot and helping the inspector. They're kind of second in charge. We, at some locations, we have sheriffs that will be patrolling and monitoring things. We had so many precincts at one location that that Mm -hmm. we, we had to have people actually were just getting the ballots because we could have 14 different ballots at one location, not just here, have your ballot. That created some problems, too. At the primary, we had um, 165 different ballot types. People don't understand how many different ballots there can be in Monroe County. We have 82 precincts. Each one has their own ballot. 
in the primary, you have to have a Democrat and a Republican one. And then you have to have an, another one, a Fed only. Why is voting so important in our political system? I think it's very important for everybody's intention of how the, our country should go needs to be voiced. It is our right and a privilege that should not be taken lightly. So we definitely encourage every voter that can to vote. Of course, right now we want people who are not registered to register so that they can vote. And of course, the tensions are pretty high amidst the COVID-19 and all the political things going on. Uh, It definitely puts a lot of stress on everyone, including emotions and such that we're believing for a good outcome in this. But we do want people to do their civic duty. The polls will be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Election Day, November 3rd, at your polling place. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Last summer, Monroe County sued a local property owner for logging and working on part of his 250-acre land on Lake Monroe, located near South Shady Side Drive and within mere feet of the lake itself. A year later, the lawsuit continues to be just as pressing and relevant to the lives of those involved in the surrounding community and environment. We turn to WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner for more on this topic. The reasons for the lawsuit initiated on May 19th of 2019 include unauthorized development along the shores of Lake Monroe and excessive clear-cutting which could have detrimental effects to the lifespan of the lake's health and the county's primary water source. According to court documents from last year, the charge asks that the court, quote, mandates the Huffs to immediately restore and stabilize the land and vegetation they disturbed or removed, or caused to be disturbed or removed, from portions of the Huff property that exceed 12% slope, end quote. The county is currently in the middle of a hearing on the motion for a preliminary injunction. The hearing began on the 16th of July and will continue on until the 31st. Once completed, a ruling will be issued by Judge Holly Harvey, who has been on this case. The issue of fines on the plaintiffs will be addressed in detail as well. The defendant's side includes landowner Joe Huff and his wife, Nicole Huff. An aerial picture was taken April 22nd of 2019, showing the clearing that had already begun on four of Huff's 250 acres. On May 16th, Monroe County filed a complaint against the Huff Trust for multiple violations of county ordinances, seeking an injunction against activities the county considers in violation of said ordinances. According to court documents, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners stated the complaint that Huff was unwilling to come into compliance, not having a permit before beginning construction on the site and leaving the county no choice but to seek an injunction. The county is also arguing that the Huff property is located in the Environmental Constraints Overlay Zone, established and regulated by the Monroe County Zoning Ordinance. According to the plaintiff's side, Huff must need an Improvement Location Permit and a Land Use Certificate before proceeding with excavation activities on the property. The Huff Trust would also be required to submit a site plan to the county. There has been at least one stop work order issued that was ignored by the Huff Trust after county attorneys stated that it was a violation of zoning ordinance for them to proceed work without a liable permit. County attorneys have stated that with each day that Huff and or the contractors continue work without these approvals, they will be subjected to fines. 
If charged, fines will be $1,000 for the first day, $2,500 for the second day, and $7,500 for the third and each succeeding day after if the violation continues. The county has also argued that the excavation on the property is on slopes steeper than is allowed by county zoning rules. Throughout the case, Huff has tried a change of judge, change of court, dismissal, and has countersued the county, alleging defamation, among other things. In terms of the environmental effects that the Huff Trust has caused from construction, it is difficult to get factual answers on the topic. However, by clear-cutting the forest in mass quantities, erosion and sedimentation are the top concerns, especially for the county. The property owned by Huff, near South Shadyside Drive, is just along the shores of Lake Monroe. Within approximately 10,750 acres, Lake Monroe is the largest inland body of water in the state of Indiana. Access to the lake is available through four state recreational areas, two state wildlife refuges, the Hoosier National Forest, and 10 public boat ramps. Approximately one-half of the 190-mile shoreline is owned by the county, leaving the rest owned privately. Monroe County has passed ordinances creating the environmental overlay zones in the watershed, and a comprehensive study of Lake Monroe was written up and published for the county by IU, specifically the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, in 1997. The study showed that through extensive research, the following claims could be made and would require management actions from the county. 1. That water transparency is poor, which means limited light is available to algae and decreases the aesthetic quality of the lake. 2. Phosphorus concentrations are high, which classifies the area studied as eutrophic. 3. Naturally erosive alluvial soils along stream banks and valley bottoms in watershed contribute sediment loading into the lake. 4. Shoreline erosion is a serious problem, contributes to poor water transparency, sediment accumulation, degraded aesthetics, and property damage. 5. Sediments taken from Sugar Camp Creek had concentrations of arsenic, chromium, nickel, and zinc. The study also stated, quote, Urbanization of the watershed is proceeding at increasing rates as Bloomington expands southward and more people desire country living. Construction on steep slopes and shallow clay soils is characteristic of much of the watershed has potential to increase current sedimentation rate, end quote. Although there are many issues that the lawsuit presented for the county, the issue of logging on property acres is one of the state, not the county. Monroe County has no authority to regulate logging anywhere, mostly focused on road development and other issues. Logging, however useful and practical for economic development, can also have detrimental effects on the environment. Huff has reportedly used the legality of logging to develop road infrastructure on the property in violation of codes designed to minimize erosion. The issue that often can come from logging is overlogging or logging in an area that does not have enough land set aside for long-term preservation. This can lead to ecological degradation and water pollution. Simply put, without the balance between economics and the health of our environment, issues can arise. A healthy environment is always needed for humanity to survive and thrive both locally and nationwide. According to neighbors of the Huffs and county reports, large areas have been clear-cut and bulldozed down to the shoreline, leaving little to nothing to help filter out pollutants from entering the lake. This is where concern for the lake comes in. Lake Monroe is constantly in danger of effects from erosion, from land clearing and degradation, and pollution from runoff in the watershed.
For the community of Bloomington and surrounding towns, this lake is an absolute vital resource. Nearly 200,000 Hoosiers depend on the lake for safe drinking water, but it also provides jobs for many people in the community. One local resident on South Shadyside Drive commented on the issue, saying, quote, The county's lawsuit against the Huffs will have huge implications as to whether or not protecting our water source is even possible, end quote. In terms of impacts that the Huff's actions have had on the surrounding community, the changes that the area has seen has caused disturbance, according to another resident on South Shadyside Drive. The project of logging and clearing land has been ongoing for about two years now, according to one source, and has had negative effects on the neighborhood. Noise pollution is the number one disturbance from heavy logging equipment, chainsaws, and bulldozers. Another example of disturbance is smoke from burning, logging, and land clearing debris. A significant amount of smoke ash falls into the neighborhood on dry, windy days, resulting in multiple responses by the Clear Creek Fire Department. One neighbor stated, quote, The smoke and ash is so overbearing at times it's difficult to be outside. The situation has caused consistent frustration because shortly after the fire trucks leave, the fires are relit. Quiet days with clean air have been rare, end quote. Another neighbor explained the issue at hand right now between the county and the Huffs, saying, quote, This case, in essence, boils down to the issue of logging, which the state controls. Huff claims to just be logging, therefore the county has no jurisdiction, end quote. In his recent brief defending against the county lawsuit, Huff stated, quote, Unlike what the county claims, the extent of the activities and use of equipment on the Huff property amount to nothing more than the maintenance of a forest operation, end quote. There will be a hearing this Friday, July 31st, on the case between Monroe County and the Huffs, where Judge Holly Harvey's ruling is likely to set the tone for the future of our vital resource and drinking water. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Thanks for listening.